Hello, everyone, and welcome to The Gong, the podcast hosting conversations about the earliest stages of startup sales and all the fun stories that come from companies with little cash, no precedent, and lots of guts. Folks, we are in a crazy, crazy time here, and as millions of people around the United States, I saw over 3 million people applied for uh, unemployment benefits in the last week alone that is probably happening with health insurance as well. And as millions of people are losing their jobs and insurance due to the COVID-19 recession, they'll likely be turning to state healthcare marketplaces to find health insurance. And if they find success doing so in many states like California, Pennsylvania, and others, they have Chini Krishnan to thank for that. Today's guest has spent 15 years building America's largest platform for self-insurance under the Affordable Care Act, and he signed contracts worth tens of millions of dollars annually with multiple states in one of the most regulated industries in the world. Chini Krishnan is the CEO and founder of Get Insured. For over a decade, Chini and his team have had a vision of buying health insurance as easily as a plane ticket on Expedia. And one of the best parts of his story and this company's story is how that vision was totally gunned down by the Affordable Care Act and how, out of those troubles and difficult times, came the amazing company that they are today. Cheney has one of the hardest sales jobs in the world, selling software to the government. He shares how he does that, how he manages his relationship with investors, and how sales strategies must change with the times. Well, Cheney's a fantastic storyteller, and I learned a lot. So I hope you enjoy my conversation with Cheney Krishnan. Chini, welcome to the gong. Thank you, thank you, Adriel. It's a pleasure to be here. Oh, we're gonna have a blast. Uh, I think out of all the folks and companies and founders that I've spoken with, you run a company that is probably in the most complex regulatory environment um, of all, which also means you have some of the most challenging and perhaps interesting sales processes, especially as a startup. Can you uh, maybe start us off by sharing a little bit about Get Insured, uh, what it is today, but also the company's 15 years old. Would love to hear what you wanted the company to be 15 years ago. I, uh, well, Adriel, thank you, and, and, and you're, you're right. Uh, when we uh, founded Get Insured, when I founded Get Insured with my good friend and partner, Shankar, um, you know, we were both entrepreneurs who had simply encountered obstacles when attempting to purchase health insurance. And we thought there's gotta be a better way. And this was of course, you know, long before the Affordable Care Act or Obamacare, you know, sort of care came into being. And, you know, we had a successful industry, you know, track record of uh, just sort of being entrepreneurs and applying technology to all kinds of sort of complex problems. And so we thought, well, you know, what we should do is sort of create, uh, you know, a Travelocity or Expedia for health insurance. And that uh, was the original idea uh, for the Get Insured Health Insurance Marketplace. That's how it was born. 
so you you already had Travelocity and Expedia as sort of technological models, and you wanted to take what they did technically and apply it to a different industry? That's exactly right. The model was out there. It was clear at the time that people were buying things like airline tickets in a very uh, organized, easy, sort of online e-commerce way. So, you know, our vision and our idea was, hey, why don't we extend this concept to the purchase of health insurance? And that, that was really our original idea. Uh, and we did very well with it uh, over a period of time. I mean, we, uh, we serviced consumers well. We then created a broker portal to, uh, you know, help support brokers who wanted to service their consumers because the health insurance is often sold by licensed brokers. Uh, but then five years into our um, business, uh, you know, the Obama administration passed the Affordable Care Act or what's now known as Obamacare. And that was a pretty big, big change in our business because we realized that in order to continue growing and in order, more importantly, to continue serving our customers, we had to change our business model in a very fundamental way and shift our focus from servicing consumers directly to rather servicing the states that were building these exchanges or marketplace to service the consumer. So I want to I go back to 2005 to pre-Obamacare, pre-ACA days for a moment. When you guys started with this Expedia for Health Insurance model, you were already ready to work in one of the most regulated, challenging industries ever. You know, if Expedia had their hands full with airlines, then you were going to be way in over your head with healthcare. Uh, when you started, what was, what was the MVP? What was the first time, what did the product look like the first time you were ready to go up uh, in front of real customers and offer them something? So um, I think that, that, that's a fantastic question. And because, you know, what most people, I think, as you said, uh, health insurance is an intensely regulated industry. Uh, it is like, and it's regulated state by state, which means that in order to operate uh, on a nationwide basis, you know, we're required to be licensed with in, in each of those 50 states. Uh, and then we're required to be what's called appointed as, and we, we need appointment contracts with each of the health insurance carriers that we carried on our website. So it was a fairly long and sort of tortuous process, but to get back to your core question of, you know, what was unique, what was different, what was uh, the big aha moment and what we, what we did? Well, the big aha moment is that we did all the hard work behind the scene in order to create for the consumer an online experience where regardless of where they were in the country, they could buy health insurance on their own, they could buy ancillary products like dental after purchasing their health insurance on their own, or, or they could talk to a broker who could help them with such a purchase. So sort of creating that very fluid online experience, which is what we're all used to today with other consumer goods in an intensely regulated marketplace, um, you know, that hadn't been done before. And that's, that's, what, we, that's what we did. So you had to build, you know, if I'm a user and I wanna go get insurance, and I get on Get Insured, and in your first week of launch, 
I want to have a large supply of options that are relevant to me. So you had to build, of course, a technical platform to enable that, but you had to acquire a huge supply of health insurance options before you were ready to launch, right? Well, what was that like to begin to convince, or was it convincing, or were you just aggregating all these different health insurance options, and then you had a pretty platform on which a consumer can buy? I think that's, you, you're, you know, what's interesting is I think there's a little bit of convincing and a little bit of aggregation going on. Like in any marketplace, you know, if you're carrying a host of consumer goods and in our case, financial products and services, um, you know, you're going to get, you're going to get, I want to say the first, the top 50 to 60% of the marketplace relatively easily, but there are people who are hard to convince. And so... Um, I think, you know, as with anything, it was a process. And we got some of the strong, bigger national leaders very quickly early on. And then uh, some of the smaller carriers across the smaller states, um, you know, took quite a lot of time to get on board our platform. And, uh, um, you know, I think that's probably true of, you know, really any, any e-commerce, any online shopping experience. So in those first in that first period when you were trying to get the providers online and even when you were getting ready to launch, was it you and your co-founder doing the sales or how early on did you bring somebody in to be a professional salesperson to, to lead uh, either the supply or the demand side of getting shared? I think early on it was pretty much my co-founder and I and uh, we, we had a division of responsibility you know, at a high level where, you know, um, around it, uh, you know, we probably had one person devoted to business development that we hired early on. And, uh, you know, this person did a lot of work for us uh, in terms of the, you know, reaching out to the carriers and getting the meeting set up and that type of thing. Uh, but as you can imagine, with really sort of any early stage startup, uh, I mean, you, you, it's difficult to get into a repeatable uh, sales model until, you know, your model itself is proven. And so early on, there was a lot of, you know, creative hustling and a creative business development and sort of making our business case. Uh, and in some cases, it was easy. In some cases, it took uh, a little more work. Can you, can you maybe elaborate a little there? I'm very uh, intrigued by what it looked like, you know, when you had this idea, uh, maybe you had built some of the early versions of prototypes, what were your early conversations like? I, I mean, what were people objecting with? What were people excited by? What were those more difficult conversations like? Do you have any stories that pop out to you specifically about your very early attempts at uh, gaining traction with some, some of the larger providers? Um, for the most part, you know, uh... For the most part, I really I want to say the larger carriers were easy because the larger carriers tend to be more sophisticated, uh, tend to have significant information technology initiatives, are much more, you know, uh, in tune with the technology trends and the internet broadly speaking, and so you know to some extent the larger, more national carriers with the largest footprint, which were very critical needed um, where in some respects easier. It's when you get to the really small carriers across the country, 
uh, when we're calling across the country from sort of Silicon Valley, where we've got a, you know, the challenge of sort of introducing ourselves and explaining to them who we are and why we're credible and that sort of thing. But, uh, you know, I want to say it isn't the story of any one particular carrier that sort of resonates or stays with me after these years as much as, you know, uh, like with anything else, it's a process. So you get the first 10 and then you work on the next 10 and you work on the next 10 after that. Yeah. And, and when you guys launched, when you were already publicly facing, what, what do you remember about your first maybe three months of being publicly facing where... Was the growth viral? Were you doing a lot of education about how to use your platform? Uh, were there you know, massive site crashes? What were your first three months of actually being public facing and really watching your customers engage with the supply you brought to them? What was that like? So what was interesting about that period is that what I remember from there is that, you know, uh, you know, health insurance in comparison to other more fun products isn't something that people do for fun. People buy health insurance at some level because they need to and have to, as opposed to, you know, uh, wanting to. Um, and so, you know, I remember one of our very first big lessons uh, being when we launched uh, that you know, the, the value of what we did and the value of the capabilities we made available was first much more apparent to, to the broker community that sort of services the consumers. And there's, there's a few tens of thousands of brokers across America that service a few million or a few tens of millions of consumers in the individual marketplace. And so what was interesting to us out of that early experience is that you know, the earliest adopters were brokers and the earlier and, and they had very useful and valuable sort of feedback early on to sort of share with us, you know, around, uh, you know, simple things uh, like the design of the site and carriers they would like to see versus not and so on and so forth. So it was a, it was a fun time and a, and a fun experience, but obviously our model changed very substantially um, you know, five years into the business. Yeah, so, so what happened there? You know, Obamacare, the Affordable Care Act, was sort of this super controversial legislation uh, that Obama campaigned on that you had heard uh, coming for years, and all of a sudden it seemed like, and I guess 2010, uh, it was enacted, and there was a totally different way of buying insurance. What, what, was, what were the conversations like? internally when you guys realize that this entire model you spent five years building may not apply so well starting next week? So it's a pretty life-changing moment um, because, you know, if you think about sort of where we were back in uh, 2010, uh, we had built a business as a consumer-facing uh, and a broker-supporting portal. It was very much you know, an e-commerce consumer-oriented business. And yet, after the passage of, after, uh, you know, ACA in 2010, we very quickly realized that nine out of the 10 customers we service would be eligible for some form of very generous uh, subsidy from the federal government. And so they were unlikely to buy 
in the open market anymore, and they would be flocking to and buying from, you know, these new faith-based marketplaces and exchanges, which is what the Affordable Care Act contemplated. And so, you know, we realized uh, in that moment that in order to grow or in order to continue helping as many consumers as we, you know, possibly uh, could, it was important for us to change our business model very fundamentally. And so versus serving the consumer directly, it was, it, it was fairly existentially apparent uh, that we needed to refocus the business on serving the states that were building these marketplaces in an integrated fashion so they could be both a marketplace and a provider of these subsidies. So we, versus from what I would call being a B to C business, we became B, we quickly needed to become a B to B to C business. How well, so you mentioned that nine out of 10 of your customers that you had with the old model would no longer rely on you in the same way unless you were to change with them. How, how much, how well did you know your customer at that point? I mean, did you have clear personas of this is the kind of individual we're going after and this is how we're targeting them? How, how well did you understand your customer and the actual individual purchasing? And then we'll get to the, the states uh, in a moment. But how well did you know that individual making the purchases? And then how, how did you acquire more of them in the early days? Yeah, it's a, that's a, yeah, that's, a, that's an interesting one because, you know, the, the, the fact of the matter is that when you step back and think about how uh, people obtain their health insurance, most people who work in a job, many, many people who work in a job, I want to say, simply get their health insurance as part of their health benefits package from their employer. And so typically, you, you already know going in that the people who buy health insurance in the open market are people um, you know, who aren't getting health insurance for the most part from their employer or are not over the age of 65, which is when you get Medicare. Um, and so we knew going in that our customer persona was typically, you know, sort of the self-employed individual, whether it's, you know, a lawyer, a plumber, a doctor, a gardener, you know, it's someone that's, you know, part of the many millions of small businesses in America versus somebody, you know, who's working for a Citibank or a McKinsey or that, you know, larger um, institution. And so, and that marketplace, that demographic was the core uh, of the Affordable Care Act. It's the core population that was entitled to the subsidy. So, I mean, it didn't take a rocket scientist at that point to know that you, you needed to, you, or, and we didn't, I want to say, need to do 10 months of research to figure out that our market has changed. Uh, it was pretty apparent that the world had changed on us overnight. So I imagine as you... Uh as you came to this realization quite quickly, uh, and you began to scramble to restructure your technology to be able to be B2B to C instead of B2C as you were previously, you then had to understand how to do a very different kind of sales motion, 
Whereas before, and I'm just going to take some guesses here, please correct me if I'm wrong, you might have been acquiring users purely through, you know, maybe traditional routes. Maybe you're sending out mailers uh, to people who are members of the Chamber of Commerce. Maybe you're doing some early marketing online. I don't even know if AdWords was a thing in 2005 yet, but maybe some early marketing online or, or publishing on various entrepreneur blogs or pages or things like that. Whereas now you need to convince California to adopt your platform, which is an entirely different way of doing business. What from a, we'll start kind of uh, uh, philosophically, mentally, and then we'll dive into the nitty gritty, but from, from the philosophy, from the mental perspective of changing your sales, your client so critically, so, so drastically, what did that do to your, to the way you guys approach sales? <laughs> You're right. I mean, I, I, and I think you said it perfectly. Uh, our original business model was very much around, you know, attracting health insurance consumers online. Uh, it was very traditional B2C model, but you know, overnight, uh, we needed to figure out how to become a, a, an enterprise business. Um, and, you know, while, and you're absolutely right that all of the methods that we focused on with respect to demand generation, you know, whether it's writing a blog or, you know, placing ads on AdWords or whatever, um, those techniques, um, I want to say, you know, more or less are irrelevant to uh, the enterprise business of, uh, you know, talking to states and, you know, helping them understand the value that we bring, we brought through, you know, our marketplace, our technology, our platform, our capabilities. Uh, and all of the hooks we had into the carriers and how, you know, we could help them. So in a sense, um, we needed to fundamentally reinvent our sales process. Um, and it helped that the company was still small and it helped that in terms of who we were and what we were, uh, Shankar and I and the team uh, were entrepreneurs by sort of trade and uh, had spent most of our career sort of building small companies. So I think, uh, you know, smaller companies into bigger companies. So, you know, I think once we got it, we knew what we needed to do uh, and, and, you know, re-pivot and, and figure out how to get in front of the states. It did help that although the Affordable Care Act was passed in 2010, you know, these state marketplaces weren't due to go live until 2014. And so we had a period of a few years where we could retool ourselves and where we could figure out and have the benefit of time in order to understand the new landscape, the new players, the new hand we were dealt with, and, um, you know, who, who most importantly we needed to talk. This is a process. Um, as you point out, I think the process was aided by the fact that the company was still at the stage small and our management and our founding team was still fundamentally entrepreneurial. Um, but it, you know, it was certainly a big change. So who became, I, I heard, is California was your first 
customer as a as a state. Is that right? Yes, that's right. Uh, it's also our home state. Oh, your home state. So, what was that process like? How did you know you got a few years now? You're retooling. You're building new technologies. Every state is probably trying to uh, scramble and figure out how to do this well to be both compliant and to serve their constituents well. How did you uh, land California as a customer? So um, the process by which we landed California as a customer was somewhat circuitous and uh, as you might imagine, Adriel, because what happened uh, as it turned out is that there's about four or five major subsystems that you need to put together in order to build a state-based exchange. And uh, at the time, you know, nine years ago, we had one of the major five subsystems. And so the logical thing for the state to do at the time is to work with the systems integrator. Um, and so, you know, taking a really big step back, um, you know, pretty much most state procurement goes through a public RFP process, which bidders are invited to respond to. And it was pretty clear to us looking at the nature of what California was looking for, that, you know, we were not equipped to meet California's needs all by ourselves. And so what we did at the time is that we partnered with the systems integrator and one that had a great reputation in California. And, uh, and so that's how, um, you know, we presented our case to, uh, to California. And did you go it alone? Were you, were you working with a consulting firm? Were you just emailing uh, the, whoever the governor was at that point? How, how did that actually, how did that process happen? So the uh, yes, the, the no, we were not alone. We worked with the consulting firm of Accenture, who were great partners to us, and uh, and uh, you know together we we uh, you know went after this opportunity. Mm. And you've grown a bit since then. I mean, you're in multiple states now. How do the different states work differently, both in terms of uh, maybe the sales process being different among different states? Well, let's start there. How's the sales process different among different states? I know you've moved away from doing pure consult or working with consultants. Yeah, of course. Uh, I, I, you know, today our technology is deployed in many states across the country. That you know, in addition to California, we count as our customers the state of Idaho, the state of Minnesota, the state of Nevada, Washington, Pennsylvania, uh, New Jersey, and what's. Uh, What's very different uh, uh, about all those other states is that uh, in all those states, the, the states are our customers directly. And so what I want to say is that, you know, at some level, if you think about it uh, from a market adoption and a market maturation perspective, um, you know, taking one big step back. Uh, clearly, our customer base is very, is characterized by all of the, the, the buying characteristics that you would expect off of the public sector. And, you know, they're, you know, it's, it's important for them to follow the RFP process. They're very, it's, very, it's a very rules-oriented procurement, but it's also a very risk-averse, um, you know, customer, um, you know, dynamic. 
but once we had acquired uh, California and we had the chops to demonstrate to the world at large that this is something we could do, um, you know, customers number two was easier than one and three was easier than two and four was easier than three. And, you know, today uh, I want to say that outside of healthcare.gov, which is sort of the federal marketplace, uh, you know, we run close to 70% of all of the enrollments out there. So we're, we're somewhat of a market leader in the space now. How do you think about competition in that way? Uh, you know, what are your customers looking at when they're considering going with get insured or they're considering going with one of the other providers? So uh, our competitions evolved over a period of time. You know, very early on, I want to say three, four, five years ago, um, you know, when we, when we competed for business, uh, our competitors often were other consulting firms. Uh, that's changed now, and because, uh, remember at the end of the day, one of the most important things we're doing is we're not just offering uh, consumers, our customers, a solution to their problems. We're also doing it in a new way. We're offering our consumers a cloud-based platform that's common across all those states uh, to support their core need, which is to roll out a state-based exchange. And that's new, that's different. Most states uh, historically going back, I wanna say, you know, forever, uh, historically for technology often tend to have bespoke uh, technology systems. And, and, you know, those systems can often be expensive to uh, maintain and expensive to scale and they're procured on a custom basis. So in many ways, what we're doing is pioneering a new cloud-based you know, uh, commercial off the shelf approach to um, that reduces cost, that increases flexibility. Uh, and it's, it's one of the fundamental reasons we're winning. It's one of the fundamental reasons where uh, we are a market leader now. And it's one of the fundamental reasons why our competitive dynamic has evolved where we no longer face, um, you know, consulting firms that want to build bespoke technology systems for states, but rather, you know, smaller upstarts who, who want to compete with us in the business of trying to offer, you know, cloud-based SaaS solutions. T tell me more about that. Tell me about pricing. So I'm going to make another assumption here and say you're, well, this one I can guess is pretty accurate. Your pricing has changed in the before ACA versus after ACA period, uh, I will assume that in the pre-ACA world, uh, your pricing might have been a pretty simple commission structure, probably similar to Expedia, where you know you 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 sell a policy, you guys get fifteen percent of fifteen uh, percent of that as as take home, and maybe there's some advertising revenue or some anything like that. Whereas in this new world, I'm baffled at how you would even begin to price your services. Though I, I, I know if, I, if my research is correct, I also know that some states pay vastly different sums. And please correct my numbers if I'm wrong here. But I, I think I read that California plays, pays approximately $3 million a year for their contract, whereas a state like Pennsylvania plays, pays almost 10 times that. Uh, so please correct me if I'm misinformed there. But also my general question is, how do you think about pricing? How do you set pricing and how's pricing evolved over the last call it five years 
as you guys have really begun to cement yourselves as the leader in this world? Yeah. So, I mean, I think we should take a step back, Adriel, because uh, it is true that our pricing has evolved uh, in each state, and uh, but it's evolved in response to, I want to say, a couple of uh, things. So, first of all, um, sometimes across our customers, we do very, very, very different things. Um, and so, for example, in one of the case you 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 described, uh, for some of our customers, we not only operate and license technology to them, but we also run their consumer assistance center for them. And when you run a consumer assistance center for a state, that's obviously a function uh, for a large state that requires a significant number of people. And so, um, you know, in the case that you cited of Pennsylvania. Uh, we're doing everything for them, and so the the uh, the scope of services that we provide to them is vastly higher um, than the scope that we provide, uh, you know, to a different state, uh, such as you know California. <clears throat> so that's one observation. Um, I think the second observation, though, uh, is that you know, paradoxically, despite the fact that the headline numbers sometimes look different in our view that when you actually uh, peer down the covers and look at, I wanna say the last four or five procurements that we've had, uh, you know, the pricing is remarkably competitive, remarkably consistent, and remarkably driven by some very clear factors, including, you know, the size of the state, um, and you know the typical complexity of the RFP, which is often driven by uh, the size as well. So it's uh, when you when you sort of break it all down, um, and you look at you know price as a function of both scope of services that we provide, as well as uh, underlying size of the state, and therefore the complexity of its procurement. There's a pretty linear correlation between how we price and how we, uh, you know, in each of these states. And how did you come up with the pricing? I mean, did you say, was it sort of, I imagine it wasn't a cost plus, it wasn't, hey, this is what it costs us to develop uh, the system and let's just add 20% to that. Was it, you know, you worked on dollarized value, so you said, hey, if California or Pennsylvania, if you were to develop this yourself, it would cost you 30 million, so how about we charge you 27 million and you guys save three million? How did you, how did you begin to think about the actual numbers you're gonna be able to charge states? Um, so some of it as with all pricing, uh, Adriel is both an art and a science. Um, but uh, I would tell you that, you know, we operate in a fiercely competitive environment uh, where, you know, with every passing year, it gets to be more of a science than an art because there's more and more price data out there for the competitors to look at uh, as they think about you know, how they want to price their next bid. Um, but the dynamics of our, our marketplace are not very different from what you would see for any large procurement. Uh, you know, heretofore, I think, you know, if people, you know, if you want to think about how people bid for, you know, building 
airports or building aircraft carriers or that sort of thing. There is variation and it's not a hugely liquid market, but with every competitor, every subsequent procurement, there's more price data out there. And because there's more and more price data out there, you know, over time, it tends to settle down uh, to, to its own equilibrium. So the answer is just uh, throw a dart at a dartboard for the first one, and then over time... Throwing, uh, you know, the very first couple of times, because I do remember looking across the space that uh, there was very wide variation in, uh, in uh, uh, you know, the prices that were paid for the very first round of procurements at this point going back five or six years ago. Uh, and then it sort of settled down to a mean. And that's, you know, you would expect that in any new software market. Mm-hmm. I want to, Chini, this has been a, a ton of fun. I want to end on the future. And I want to ask what your plan is, say, for the next two or three years. And I'd like to act that from two perspectives. The first is, broadly, uh, what is your growth plan? How, what, where do you want to go? Is it just bring on new states? Is it bring on new people onto the platform, um, things like that? And then the second one is from the perspective of being a venture-backed company, you've been in business for 15 years. The average venture capital for fund is probably 10 years, and investments they're hoping are on a scale of 5 to 10 years before an exit. So how, do, how does that sort of pressure, if there is any, affect growth and sales and your strategy in, in terms of that? Those are both awesome questions. I, I want to take the second one first and say that, uh, you know, at Get Insured, we're super fortunate. And we're super fortunate because we've got investors and backers, uh, our institutional backers, who have been very patient and very clear with us that what they want to do is they want us to do everything possible to, to build a great company. And so every day, uh, everybody comes to work at Get Insured. Uh, with a view that, you know, the work we do is important. The work we do ensures today 1% of America. Uh, The work we do today is seminal to getting a lot of people insured. uh, And we have fun doing it uh, and we get paid for it. So we're we're, we're really super fortunate uh, every day for the things we do. In terms of... uh, you know, the path from here, I'd like to say, Adriel, I think we're only getting started. I mean, we um, have, you know, seven customers today that collectively service about 2.7 million enrollees across all the states we service. Uh, but we're really only getting started because when you look at all the people on the Affordable Care Act and all the people who also you know, exist in sort of the adjacent markets of Medicaid and Medicare, um, 5% of our customer base ages into Medicare, and we'd like to help our customers find ways to service them in a, in a way that's collaborative with their, their underlying power broker partners. Um, and uh, a number of customers churn between being eligible for Obamacare subsidies and being eligible for Medicaid in most of our state customers. And so we, up to now, heretofore, have not, although we have great ideas on how to service those consumers in a more fluid and more harmonized way, uh, we haven't taken those big steps yet. And 
I would tell you that we're at a very exciting time in Get Insured's evolution where we feel like we have the critical mass uh, of customers we need to be successful. We need to now invest in the process and the systems to, to scale and support our customers effectively. Uh, and then uh, we need to, the world is our oyster because uh, there's just so much opportunity out there to bring the principles of sort of technology and SaaS and cloud-based platforms to the public sector. Uh, we're really only getting started. Well, I, I totally believe it. And, and uh, you actually did inspire one more question. I promise it's the last one. But you mentioned it is an interesting and fascinating time to be in your business. And I think that is highlighted even more so by the 2020 election. Um, it feels like the three front runners for president all have three different directions in which they can take your company. Uh, in addition to that, Obamacare is going to be under another Supreme Court review. Uh, I feel like this fall, I think, um, and a lot of folks are writing about what's going to happen to Obamacare. So uh, in what ways do you feel like you're back where you were 10 years ago uh, in, in trying to figure out where, where your business is going to be taken by the stickle folks in Washington? Uh, and how do, you, my, how do you strategize at a time where you know, the entire legal structure upon which your company has been built for the last 10 years is in constant flux, certainly, but especially so over the next 12 months? So uh, that's a fascinating question, and I would say two things. The first thing I would say is that you know, there is some value to the serenity prayer. Uh, and, you know, at, at some level, you know, I think the, when we all come into work at Get Insured, we're, we're not worried about what the Supreme Court will do or that type of thing. And, and, and partly because you don't, the lesser reason is, is that you sort of partly we don't control what it will or won't do. Um, but there's also a larger reason, which is that, you know, at the end of the day, as a betting person, Adriel, I, I fundamentally don't believe the country is going to take the 11 million people that are on the Affordable Care Act and the roughly 30 to 35 odd million odd people that got health insurance through expanded Medicaid. You know, that's collectively 45 million Americans. There is not, I, our society, our community, regardless of all of our dysfunctions, right now isn't going to act in a way that throws one out of five Americans out of healthcare. We're not going to do that as a society. And so because we're not going to do that, I, I've, and that's a, that's a core belief I have, you know, stuff may happen around the margins. And, uh, you know, if it does, then we and all our customer partners will, uh, will adjust to those changing winds. And that's, that's okay. That's just part of being in an intensely regulated business. Um, and, uh, you know, healthcare is clearly a, a clear and sort of present need that, that as a country, you know, every American at some level is concerned about it. Uh, and part of part of the reason we are is because with all of the ever-changing technologies and more modern therapies that we discover every day, you know, it tends to get more expensive. Uh, and 
I don't think that fundamental dynamic is changing. I think we will argue about how we should pay for healthcare, you know, for the next 30 years. So, you know, our view around that is that as long as that fundamental dynamic is going to be true, it is going to be true that government will play a role in publicly financing the needs of, you know, uh, Americans so that they can obtain health care. And sort of how it happens is going to be decided through various legislative actions and then occasionally litigation. And it's our job as entrepreneurs to, you know, uh, understand how the winds blow and adapt to it and be good partners to our customers and and our states. And so I, and I think that's something we happen to be good at. That's that's what makes Get In Short special. Well, I love that. I think it is the, uh, the most salesy thing you said all hour was that there's some value to the serenity prayer. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> pretty much before any phone call I have with any prospect, I, uh, I throw one up and, and uh, hope for the serenity to accept the things I can't change, the courage to change the things I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. Because if you're, if you're not going to give, give it up to the, the forces that we have no control over, then I think that uh, you're not going to be able to find a way forward. Uh, Chini, thank you so much. This has been a real blast. Adriel, thank you so much. This was, I, 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 had a, I had a hoot. This was so much fun. Thank you. Thank you so All much. Right. Cheers. And there you have it, Chini Krishnan, ladies and gentlemen. If you like the show, it would mean so, so much if you left us a review or a rating, especially if it were five stars, but either way, it really means a lot. You're welcome to reach out to me, Adriel, anywhere on the internet. I am at alubarski2. Alubarski1 was already taken long ago, but hey, so it is. Find me on Twitter, Instagram, even Gmail, at alubarski2. Happy selling.